there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, Scott introduced me to a very odd film, one that I hadn't really heard of. The film we are referring to is called The Burbs. Yes, Joe Dante's The Burbs. Released in 1989. Yeah, this was a weird movie. I caught this randomly one day, and I'm almost fascinated with it a little bit because it is so weird. The whole movie has this, like, build-up, and it's about this group of men stuck in the suburb who kind of go crazy. Yeah. I, I again, never heard of this film, but it stars Tom Hanks, so that's a plus right away. And despite the fact that when it got released, it apparently had very bad reviews, apparently now it is considered a cult classic. I feel like we've been doing a lot of quote-unquote cult classics lately. But um, it was definitely an interesting film. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I Now that I've watched it the second time, it was still fun. I, I enjoy the cast. The cast is really actually quite fun. Yeah, you can tell they're having a good time. But actually, surprisingly, this actually is a very star-studded cast if you think about it. With Hanks, Carrie Fisher, Bruce Dern. As Scott mentioned before, this film was directed by a Mr. Joe Dante, director of such classics as Gremlins 1 and 2, Small Soldiers, Looney Tunes back in action, you know, the classics. Okay, yes, Joe Dante has a lot of weird movies, but that's kind of his thing. He's one of those guys that he doesn't do, like, the normal movie. That's true. I would agree with that. And the film was written by a Mr. Dana Olson. But he wrote such, again, classics as George of the Jungle and Inspector Gadget, the <laughs> film. <laughs> So, yeah, we're really working with uh, cream of the crop here. But also, in reference to the writing in this film, the film was shot during the writer's strike of 1988. So, while Dana Olsen was on set, he was prohibited from contributing anything to the script at all. And because of that, Joe Dante ended up encouraging a lot of improvisation from the cast I think all of their chemistry together on set and their ability to work off of each other really helped this movie out a lot yeah I definitely agree at no point do you feel like somebody's out of place everybody kind of makes sense especially in a cul-de-sac where everybody knows each other everybody's in everybody's business the only gripe I have is the very end of the movie which we'll talk about. Yeah, I, I actually don't know what exactly your gripe is, but I'm interested to talk about it. So we'll, we'll definitely get there. Essentially, this movie is, is a very simple concept. It's just a bunch of people living in this cul-de-sac, bunch of, you know, 
average Joe, whitey Americans living in the suburbs, and uh, hijinks ensue when a mysterious neighbor moves in, and they're very creepy and spooky. It, it definitely is a simple execution of a simple script, I would say. Yeah, it's definitely a simple execution. It's definitely done, I think, pretty well. There's nothing I would say is done poorly in this movie. No. Nothing poorly done. However, also on the other side of that, there's nothing really exceptionally done, I would say. The only thing that I would probably say was the shining star of the movie besides Tom Hanks, because Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. Yeah. Is the score. The score was really, really fun. Yeah, the score is uh, the score is hysterical. There are moments in this movie that are supposed to be over-the-top spooky, and then there are moments juxtaposing that that are supposed to give you a very, like, light and airy feeling, like, this is a wonderful town, and everything is grand, and it's like, it that, like, contrast is very stark, and it adds to the fun of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The music was done by Jerry Goldsmith. He's done everything from, like, Alien to Mulan. Yes, and The Burbs is one of nine movies that Jerry Goldsmith did in collaboration with Joe Dante. He did the score for the Gremlins films, Small Soldiers. So, yeah, the the score was great. Uh, The movie overall was a nice time. It was nice to just kind of turn my brain off and enjoy Tom Hanks being his Tom Hanksy self. Yeah. And this was early in Tom Hanks' career, too. This was right in between Big and Turner and Hooch. And fun fact, actually, when this movie was released, Tom Hanks had already been nominated for an Oscar for Big. That was that same year. He ended up losing to Dustin Hoffman, but... Yeah, he goes from that to The Burbs and then Turner and Hooch, which is... (laughs) As much as Turner and Hooch is another fun, dumb movie. (laughs) I love it, though. So, I think we can get into the nitty-gritty here, dear. Yes, let us get into the nitty-gritty. We start off with a big, giant picture of Earth. And we zoom way in to this cul-de-sac. Tom Hanks walks out in the bathrobe. He sees the lights in his neighbor's basement shining bright, the ground shaking, the winds blowing... You're like, what the hell is going on? I said to Scott, I was like, is it a ghost? <laughs> and I said, no, immediately. And it's a little foreboding. The lights go off. Tom Hanks doesn't say anything. And he just walks back into his house. Yeah, I thought that the cold open was just kind of like, it, it was weird. It, it didn't really... uh easy win to the plot here it's like okay this is a random joe schmo living in suburbia and there's a spooky house next door yeah it's a very simple setup we immediately cut to the daytime where there's this happy little biker and we got a happy little beat going as this biker throws newspapers around in the cul-de-sac i think not to rain on your parade dear but i think a biker is different than a bicyclist see a biker is like you know, a guy that rides a Harley, vroom, vroom, 
a bicyclist is a, a guy that rides a bicycle like with the pedals, like ching ching, that kind of thing. Do you disagree with me? Shut up. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. I, I don't mean to correct you, dear, but you know, I do what I must. Oh boy. So anyway, this paper boy, he's delivering papers and we get like the first joke in the movie where the little paper boy throws a newspaper at Tom Hanks when he's standing on his lawn and it hits him right in the chest and then he takes his cup of coffee and throws <laughs> throws the coffee at the kid. So Tom Hanks is a little bit crusty. He's a little crusty, but we, you know, any man worth his salt has got a little crust. That's true. He's got a little salt of the earth on his bones, you know? He's been through some annoying-ass shit. Some guy, some smart-ass motherfucker parked in his parking spot three days in a row, Scott, and he's sick and tired of it. That's probably very true. Because uh, you know it's suburbia. We don't have real problems. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we get introduced to old man Walter, who uh, has his dog Queenie. And Queenie runs over to one of the neighbor's houses and poops on the lawn. <laughs> Our dog, Leia, also was getting a kick out of Queenie as well. Whenever she would bark, <laughs> Leia would just be like, who is that? <laughs> we also get introduced to Corey Feldman, who uh, has some paint for his house. He's supposed to be painting his parents' house. Oh, yes, because while the parents are away, the mice will play. And by play, I mean paint the house. Corey Feldman plays Ricky Butler, and he was a huge star in the 80s and then kind of fell off to the wayside, but he was in The Goonies, Stand By Me, Lost Boys, and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, including Friday the 13th, Part 4. Okay, the fact that you can just pull that out of the air is concerning. He's the first person to kill Jason. Please continue, sir. I will judge you silently while you continue the plot. Friday the 13th Part 4 is actually oh not Oh my bad. god. Are you kidding me right now? No, I am not Are kidding you. Are we being you. serious? No. Ugh. This is why I don't trust you to make film decisions for me. Because, you know, you fucking watch movies like Friday the 13th Part 4. And you're like, oh, it was really good. It was good. It was a good movie. Corey Feldman killed Jason. It was you, great. You just like the burbs. Okay, I listen. I perfect. I very clearly said it's not miraculous in its quality. I introduced you to Goodfellas, Train to Busan. I've introduced you to a bunch of good movies. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. There's a spectrum. You have to have a spectrum of movies you've seen to know what is actually good. You have this thing. I know we're getting off track, guys. Don't worry. You'll get right back on track. It's not very confusing. See, I like bad movies too, but I like overtly bad movies that will make me laugh because they're so bad. You like blah bad movies and you think that they're good. That's not true. I don't like the bad movies. There are a bunch of bad movies that I watched and I'm like, oof, this, is, this was a bad choice. 
you have to watch bad movies to know what's actually good. I don't disagree with that statement, but that doesn't mean you have to watch bad movies on a constant basis. That's not a constant basis. It doesn't basis. mean it doesn't mean that you have to just like scroll through your phone, your streaming services, and just pick whatever random thing you happen to fall upon and just watch it. No, I like don't, you not- should, you know, be able to assess things. See is how you've seen so many movies by this point. I mean, at this point, I would consider us experts in the film world, Scott, okay? We are professionals. And you should be able to determine by looking at a fucking poster slash bio on a streaming service if it's going to be bad or not. And I can. I can tell when a movie's mm, going to be bad. Mm, but then you get those certain... Mm, then you get those hidden gems. I, those hidden mm. gems that you're like, wow, that actually surprised me. Or you get recommended by someone you respect, and I watch it. Are you saying, dear sir, that you do not respect your wife? Because I, do. I have suggested many a film for you to watch, and I still have yet to see you sit down and watch Spice World with me. It's always the same. I never know what to wear. Yeah, it must be really hard for you, Victoria. You know, Charles decides whether to wear the little Gucci dress, the little Gucci dress, or the little Gucci dress. Exactly. I'm just saying. That's that's what you're going to hold your hat on? It's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic. It is. I can recite it. We're going to watch it one day on the podcast. If I can find it somewhere, I'm going to show Scott. And I'm going to blow his little mind. Okay. And I'm going to have him singing, If you want to be my lover. Okay, back every to, single day. Back to the movie. Oh yes, let's get back to this movie you're watching. I'm like, I'm I've had a long day. I'm very tired, so I'm being a little loopy today. So don't mind me. Scott's got to try and control this. This is gonna be very. Oh interesting. yeah, usually I'm the one kind of riding the ship here, so it might be a little loosey goosey. <laughs> so we get introduced now to Lieutenant Rumsfeld, played by Bruce Dern. And if you don't know who that is, he's been in a bunch of things, but I I knew I knew the name from somewhere, so I looked it up. I know him as the old general guy from Hateful Eight, who Sam Jackson talks to him about how his son like sucked his nuts. Yeah, that that is a very recent role of his. He was in a lot of stuff, especially in the eighties. But he's crazy in this. For a second, I thought he was trying to do like a Doc Brown impression, at least in the like, opening scene, because he was just being so bizarre and he has that crazy white hair. But no, he kind of just turns into his own brand of crazy as the time goes on. Yeah, so he's pulling up the American flag with his hot wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, his wife, Bonnie, played by Wendy Shaw, who, fun fact, played the voice of Francine on American Dad. She does. She was fun in this movie, too. But, yeah, she's way too hot for Bruce Dern. That's true. I didn't hear Francine, though. I was, like, trying to keep an ear out. I didn't hear it. I guess that says something for her ability as a voice actress. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Bruce Dern steps in Queenie's poop, and he has words with Walter where he's yelling at Walter. Corey Feldman's watching. You know, the normal suburban nonsense. Tom Hanks is also watching. And we get our introduction to Carrie Fisher, his wife. (gasps) Yay, Carrie Fisher. I love her so much. She plays Carol, Ray's wife. And the back and forth 
throughout this movie between Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks is the cutest thing. They fight all the time, <laughs> but not like seriously fighting, like kind of how we fight, babe. Yeah. We fight over like silly things, but like we're not 100% seriously like mad about it. We're just trying to get our point across, you exactly. know? Exactly. Honestly, I would have liked to see them together. If they could have pulled off another movie together, that would have been very fun. Whenever Carrie Fisher shows up in the movie, it's usually very enjoyable. Yes, I agree. So, Ray is on vacation. Carol's trying to convince him to go to the lake house because, you know, rich white people have a lake house. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to sit home, drink a couple hundred beers, and watch the game. And she's like, you're going to get bored, and then you're going to do stupid shit. Spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. We have a cut to Ray's backyard where a man has a gun and he's in the bushes wrapped in camouflage and he is hunting this crow. Nevermore. And he shoots at the crow and Ray freaks out. He goes, oh God, Art has a gun. (laughs) Yes, this person is named Art, and he is played by Rick Ducommon. I think I'm saying that right. If not, sorry, but I saw this guy, and I swear to Christ, I knew who he was. I was like, I know who this is. His voice sounds familiar. He looks familiar. Who is this guy? So I look him up on IMDb, as you do, and he was the annoying comic relief limo driver from blank check those old sayings man you ever heard that uh, more than one way to skin a cat you heard that one who skins cats why would you skin a cat and there is not more than one way to skin a cat there is only one way to skin a cat you grab the cat you rip the skin off the cat what is the number two way think about it what what do you put a hose up the cat's butt he gets so bloated that he skins himself (laughs) if you guys don't know what blank check is we discussed it very briefly on our other podcast that we have with our friends called 17 milligrams it's essentially the most boring live action disney movie ever in existence and it's so very 90s and it's it's bad it's bad guys and this gentleman, Rick Ducommon, was supposedly the comic relief in the most boring Disney movie known to man. <laughs> so that tells you uh, why you don't recognize the name at all. <laughs> he basically plays the annoying comic relief in this, too. Yeah, he, he's definitely a crazy person. But they start chit-chatting about Ray's neighbors, the Klopaks who have just moved in about a month ago, and no one's really seen the Klopax. They're very mysterious and spooky. They've only heard rumors that the Klopaks' last house burnt down. Apparently, they dig graves in the backyard. Yeah, that's what happens, I guess, when especially when you're a kid and you like see a random house on the street. You It's like mysterious. You don't know who lives there or whatever. And you don't see the people. You just make up your own fucking bullshit. Yeah, it, yeah this is being told to them by Ray's son. He doesn't have a really big part in this movie. No, I didn't even bother writing down who it was because he's not a 
big name that anyone would know and he's in this movie for like five seconds so yeah he kind of just gives disapproving looks to his father but i mean yeah you don't really need that because carrie fisher is there for that so he's not really important (laughs) Corey feldman is flirting with mrs rumsfeld and while he's flirting with her (laughs) mr rumsfeld yells at him and just goes go get uh, get out of here you meatball because apparently, you know, meatball is uh, a, an insult now. I don't know. We had uh, Rocky calling a, a bunch of people a bunch of coconuts, and now we have people calling people meatballs. I guess. I don't know. Is food an insult? Uh, maybe, like, is it food that is spherical? Spherical food? It's spherical! <laughs> spherical! <laughs> so... If I said, you know, you're a pineapple, is that an insult or is that... That's not really spherical. Okay, what about... Okay, sorry. Like, if you're... If someone calls you... I've heard someone say the word melon head. That's a thing, right? Yeah, melon head. I've heard melon head. Melons are spherical. That's true. This is what we're talking about. (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) We're talking about spherical food. Ah! This is what the show has come to. (laughs) Oh, God. I wonder what my Hamilton reference will be in this episode. (laughs) I always tend to make a Hamilton reference. I wonder how many of the people that listen to this show hate my Hamilton references. I would assume several. So, Art is spying on the Klopax. Because he has nothing better to do. Like, I totally forgot that Art had a wife. Like, apparently the wife just went away for some reason yeah, she went on vacation. For like a week without her husband. Sure, why not? Yeah, I'm like, does he have nothing better to do with his time? No, he doesn't. So one of the Klopaks comes out. He's this young, red-headed man, and everyone's staring. It's really funny because Jerry Goldsmith's score really enhances a lot of these scenes because... The score goes from like this tittering to Okay, we get it. He's spooky. <laughs> so he goes back in his house and Art is trying to get Ray to go ring the doorbell. They finally get up the courage to go to the house. They almost fall through the front porch. They finally get to the the big knocker on the house. They knock once. The 669, because the house is number 669 on this block, flips to 666. That was funny. You know, it's the number of the beast. And then they knock again. The whole sign falls over and they get attacked by bees. Not the bees! Ah! I love my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! See, I didn't get Wicker Man vibes. I got more My Girl vibes. Do you ever see My Girl? No. I mean, granted, I'm a chick. Every chick that's listening right now just gasped. You've never seen My Girl? No, I've never seen My Girl. Putting it on the list! <laughs> Oh my god, he's never seen My Girl. What a fucking travesty. I've seen My Girl Friday. What the fuck is that? An old movie. I think it's His Girl Friday. Is it His Girl Yes, it is. You don't even know the fucking name of the movie. 
excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I have to stop because I need to add this film to the list of films that I want to show Scott before I forget because he hasn't seen My Girl. Have you added it to your list? You're good? I have added it to the list. Okay. We can continue now. Good. So the bees are attacking them. And they run over to Mr. Rumsfeld, who soaks them down with water. So we cut to the night where Ray is walking his dog and smoking cigars with Art and Corey Feldman. Yeah, and they have this weird conversation about this guy named Skip who used to live in the cul-de-sac. Yeah, Skip was apparently an ice cream salesman who used to make ice cream in his basement and would sell it around the neighborhood. That is very sketchy. I totally missed that part. I thought he worked in an ice cream shop. If some guy came up to me or my children and was like, hey, kids, (laughs) I made some ice cream in the basement. Do you want some? I'd be like, um, no, I do not. Thank you so, so much. Well, Skip had a family, and apparently he snapped one day and killed his family with an ice pick. So, yeah, that's the story. This neighborhood is popping. So we cut to the next day where Mr. Rumsfield and Art and Ray decide to use a sniper scope to investigate the Klopax. Yeah. Lightning strikes the fucking house and you're like, wow, what the hell? And then suddenly the Klopax garage opens and they duck behind the garbage cans. As you do, I guess. And... The car pulls up to his trash cans. The young man we saw before gets out, goes to his trunk, opens his trunk, pulls out the garbage bag, a very big garbage bag, stuffs it in the can, takes a broom, and continues to beat it into the can, and then lightly puts the top on the can and gets back in the car and drives back into his garage. Don't be suspicious. 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 It's quite sketchy. Oh, yes it is. Quite. And then um they're all very suspicious. But they can't, but there's there's two suspicious. They're like if we get the garbage now, they'll know something's up. Oh yes, yeah. so they decide they're going to wait till the morning. Uh-huh. Uh, so they all go their separate ways. It's now pouring. Ray goes upstairs to his room with Carol, and he's staring out the window into the Klopak's backyard, and they're digging holes in the rain. You got to go dig those holes. It's from holes. <laughs> okay. You remember holes? I don't remember that from holes. It's they did a song. They had a whole thing. They they all did a rap song together at the end. I don't remember that at one bit. They did a rap song. To, it's not in the movie. It's like in the credits. Uh, you expect me to remember the credits to Holes? Yes, because it's part of our childhood, Scott. I, I want to pull out there. How many people remember the credits to Holes? Dude, okay. I'm going to play a clip from the song right here, and you tell me if you recognize it. There is no lake, there is no shade, there is no place to hide, so just sit and wait to fry. Dig it it's fucking good. It's a banger. <laughs> okay. 
Don't you judge me, okay? I'm very tired. I know this. I don't want you to judge me. Everyone's probably so entertained by my loopiness. They're like, oh, you should do the episodes tired all the time. Oh, boy. And then Scott trying to control this. Uh, That's true. We can't have Scott riding the ship all the time. Nothing will ever get done. I get this done. Oh, really? We're like ten minutes into the movie. We're we're getting there. I'm I'm working on. No, it. we're more like twenty minutes. Well, we're we're, like 20 we're minutes getting in. there. Uh, so we cut to the next day, and the garbage men are trying to take the garbage away. But Art and Mister Rumsfield decide they're not going to let that. So they jump into the garbage truck and start rummaging through the garbage, while the garbage men have this argument over if it's ethical or not to go through garbage. Ray's son sees all this happening and he runs to go tell his dad. And what is his dad doing? He's having this hilarious argument with his wife because she's she's pissed off, basically. We're not going anywhere on our vacation. We're just hanging around in the house. And and Ray's like, I'm good. I'm on vacation. See, I'm wearing my robe. I'm good. The son runs up and goes, Art and Mr. Rumsfield have jumped into the garbage truck. And he goes, what (laughs) he's like your mother and i are having a conversation wait what (laughs) oh god so he runs out uh there's trash in the street and walter's dog runs down the street into mrs rumsfield's arms hmm that's weird where's walter no one knows where walter is so the whole gang gives up on the trash and they go over to walter's house and knock on the door but, you know, no one's answering. So Mr. Rumsfield decides he's just going to break in through the window <laughs> because breaking and entering is fine when you are wanting to snoop on an old man. They get into the house, break a few things. Notice that the chairs flipped over, the TV's left on, and Mr. Rumsfield only goes, these are all signs of a struggle. And Ray's like, okay, let's calm down. This, this, this isn't. What well, this is could be just. This could be nothing. But then they find Walter's toupee. An old man would never leave the house without his toupee. He must have left in a hurry. <laughs> That's basically what they say. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? He okay? He left in a hurry. Does that mean he was brutally murdered by the neighbors? Is that what you think that means? That's exactly what they think it means. Oh my god. So, they leave the house, and Art is trying to convince Ray that the Klopax are Satanist. Oh, yes. This was so stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like, you know, even if you think they're sketchy, like, why would you jump to Satanist? I don't know, but that's what Art is convinced. He's convinced that they have sacrificed Walter, and Carol has said that this is just crazy nonsense talk and Art is a lunatic. Yeah, he, she says to to Ray later on, she's like, So let me get this straight. The Klopeks are offering up Walter as a sort of human sacrifice to Beelzebub, is that it? That's one of the theories, yeah. Great. Uh, so Ray has also taken in Walter's dog, Queenie, and left a note for Walter through his mailbox saying, I have your dog, Walter. And that's it. And that's it. But that's all he says. He doesn't say, 
she was running around loose and we just wanted to keep her safe. No, you say, I have your dog. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a good look. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, we'll say it now, later on, at the end of the film, spoiler alert, Walter's not actually dead. Um, he says that he thought that it was a ransom note that Ray had kidnapped his dog. <laughs> And another funny part happened, too, where Ray is talking to Art, and he's like, Art's, like, trying to convince him of all this Satanist nonsense. And Ray goes, oh, God, I should just listen to my wife. should just went on vacation. And Art's like, Ray, what are you talking about? Who listens to their wife? And I'm like, clearly not you, Art, because she's going on vacation without you. She doesn't want to be near your fucking nasty, stupid face. Oh, God. So finally, after Ray has the conversation with Carol, Ray has a nightmare where the Klopax try to sacrifice him on a giant grill. And it's a very weird scene. Yes. It's one of those dream sequences that you pretty much realize immediately that it's a dream sequence. Uh, And then, funnily enough, he wakes up to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood singing his theme song, which I thought was kind of funny because he just recently, last year, played Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Almost 30 years to the date. Yeah. Isn't that... That is weird. It's definitely a weird thing. It's kind of funny. It adds a little humor to the scene. By the way, we just recently watched that movie, and it was, like, okay. <laughs> it was okay. Tom Hanks was the best part of it. I mean, yeah. Uh, true. So, what a shock that is. Yeah, what a shock The man's is. a treasure. He is. So now Ray is sitting upstairs, and Art and Mr. Uh, Rumsfield are trying to get him to come out to play, basically. And, oh, my God. This is so And funny. Carol's like... He's not coming out today. He doesn't feel well, and I'm. he's not going to be able to play with you until he becomes the husband I remember him being. <laughs> it's funny because it just shows how childish these guys are all being. Like, it basically, this whole plot, like, if you replace the grown men with little kids, it would be the same fucking, like, it's, it wouldn't make any less sense it just it fits so perfectly actually probably could work very well with kids yeah I'm, because, pr- I'm sure there's a movie like it reminds me of when you're kids and you're like hanging out with a bunch of kids on the block and you're running around playing like manhunt and snooping in on the neighbors and making up stories and shit it's just like crazy shit that little kids do when they hang out together yeah so art and mr rumsfield decide they're gonna go ahead with their plan and ding dong ditch the clopacks and leave a note for them saying that they know what they did. What a fucking idiot Art is. Because not for nothing, if you genuinely believe that these people are murderers, why are you even baiting them? Like, why? You just want to start trouble. That's why I mean, I feel like Art doesn't actually believe it. I think Art just wants to start trouble. But I think Art's bored. Yeah, but Ray is slowly but surely going crazy with this whole thing. Yeah, so as they're freaking out ray's dog brings ray a bone art grabs the bone he goes wait a minute this is a femur and ray's like yeah well i don't know what that means he's like it's a human thigh bone ray this is walter and then the best fucking thing happens (laughs) okay so 
immediately Art and Ray start to scream obnoxiously. And as they scream obnoxiously, the camera <laughs> zooms in and out really fast on them. Like it's such like an over-the-top cartoon. It was hysterical. That was one of the biggest laughs I got in the movie. There's two big laughs I got in this movie, like big, big ones, and that was one of them. So Carol and Mrs. Rumsfield decide they're going to take Mr. Rumsfield and Ray over to the Clopax, and they're just going to go introduce themselves. They're going to bring them brownies because, you know what, let's do that instead of this craziness that we're doing now and that solves everything. Yeah, let's be normal white suburban people (laughs) and bring dessert. (laughs) Yeah, so they walk over and Frankie's laughing at Mr. Rumsfield who's carrying the tray of brownies like a French waiter. He's like carrying it over his head and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Just carry the normal. It's just such a weird little choice that Bruce Dern made that just adds to his weird quirk of like, yeah, I must be formal military man at all times. And like, it's just weird. I don't know. Yeah. So he ends up falling through the porch and dropping the brownies as the younger Klopak comes and greets them. Everybody gets into the house, and we meet the Klopaks, finally. The Klopaks are Hans. That's the young one. That's the young one we've seen. Then we have an old man named Ruben, and we have another old man, I think his brother. Yes. Who's supposedly a doctor. Yes. Quote, unquote. And his name is Werner Klopek. And fun fact, he's played by Henry Gibson, who I recognize him as the grandfather from Luck of the Irish. (laughs) If you don't know what Luck of the Irish is, fucking check it out on Disney+. Plus. It's a gem of a decom. It's High School Musical before High School Musical. Well, it's not a musical, though. I wish it was. That would be even better. Okay, they took Luck of the Irish and made it into a musical, and that became High School Musical. What are you talking about? The basketball. The, it's, it's there. It's lit. Wait. <laughs> are you saying that doesn't make any sense? You're saying that Luck of the Irish and High School Musical are the same movie because they both have basketball <laughs> in it. You know what? So if that's the case, then let's see. Teen Wolf... <laughs> Is the same film as, like, Coach Carter. (laughs) Wow. That was a pull. Or I don't know any other basketball movies. (laughs) (laughs) Leave me alone. I don't know. What's another basketball movie, asshole? Oh, there's a bunch. There's Hoosiers. There's a lot of them. (laughs) It's just Teen Wolf and Coach Carter. Well, that's just about as similar as High School Musical and Luck of the Irish. Does anyone turn into a leprechaun in High School Musical? (laughs) They might as well be. I don't think so. Does anyone break out into song in Luck of the Irish? They could. Well, actually, I think they do. Never mind. Ah! Okay. Shut up, Scott. (laughs) And they dance in Luck of the Irish, too. They do Irish jigs. Yeah, they do jigs because it's Irish. But anyway, yeah, he's the grandpa from Luck of the Irish, and they're all very creepy. They offer the crew sardines and pretzels. You know, because they're hosting, so they have to offer a snack. Dr. Klopak initially shakes Ray's hand with a glove that's covered in red, and they think 
it's blood initially, but it's apparently red paint. And while all this is going on, Art tries to break into the Klopak's backyard and uh, dig in. Because he's an idiot. He is. Of course, he has Corey Feldman helping him. I don't know what the purpose of Corey Feldman was in this movie. Was he just there to like be a cute face for the kids, you know, for the tweens and teens? I think his purpose of this movie is he enjoys the insanity and he likes watching it, so he'll perpetuate any way to make it go more crazy. I think they just put him in there so like maybe teenagers would go see the movie because Corey Feldman's in it. That definitely could be a possibility. So, they're having this nice little conversation, and they're being questioned by Mr. Rumsfeld, who is like, what's going on down in your basement? Because they knock on the floor, and the basement knocks back. Never really explained why, but it does. Finally, Ray spills coffee on himself and tries to go to the bathroom where a giant dog pops out. And, like, runs to the backyard to chase Art over the fence. Where uh, Art accidentally trips, I guess, their silent alarm system. Yeah, and then after our normal suburban folk go back to their homes and discuss what the fuck just happened, the girls are like, oh, you know, they're a little eccentric, but they're fine. They're not murderers. Uh, You know, don't be silly. And Art's like, what are you talking about? And... They all look at Ray, who's being, like, dead silent. And Ray's like, you know what? The girls are right. You should just leave this alone. They're they're fine. They're clean. Leave it be. And the guys are like, what? You're so pussy whipped. You just go with the girls. You leave us. Fuck you, Art. You're such an idiot. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the girls leave the room. And Ray takes the guys aside. And... He reaches into his pants. <laughs> yep. And he just pulls out of his pants Walter's toupee. And the guys are looking at him like, what the fuck? Why did you have Walter's toupee in your pants? And he explains that after he took Queenie home, he put Walter's toupee that they found in the house back in the house through the mail slot. And... The guys are like, okay, but why do you have it right now? And he's like, I just found it in the fucking Klopex house under some magazines or whatever, all addressed to Walter. And they're like, what the fuck? So they really did kill Walter. Ah! And Ray has this badass moment, as badass as you can get, as like a guy in his late 30s living in the burbs and he goes as soon as that car leaves in the morning i'm going over the fence and i'm not coming back till i find a dead body nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it that's a statement (laughs) yes it is so the clopacks leave in the morning and Ray sends Carol to her cousin's house with their kid. Because he knows shit's going down and Carol's not going to approve. They, they don't even wait for Carol to turn the corner before they go traipsing into the backyard to go scheme. So now they're planning this whole break-in scenario. And it's, it's very intense. 
<laughs> yeah, it starts with Art has to cut the power to uh, the Klopax house. So he has to climb the pole and Ray and Mr. Rumsfeld are sitting on the ground looking up at him. And Ray goes, Why didn't you go up there? Very high. Just so, like, chill, matter of fact. It's very high. <laughs> Art cuts the wire and electrocutes himself and falls into Ray's shed. And he's all, like, kind of loopy after falling. What must be a story, at least. Well, that's what happens when you stick your nose into other people's burners. Yeah, that's what happens. You fall through sheds. That's right. That's what my mommy always used to tell me. Yeah, oh, she told you that you fall through a shed if you mess with people's business? Yep. Okay, well, we'll have to ask her about that later. <laughs> Mr. Rumsfield goes over to his house, sets up a bird's nest on his roof to watch the neighborhood to make sure if the clopacks come back. And Ray and Art break into the backyard and start digging up the backyard. And don't find really anything. Yeah, when they don't find anything in the backyard, after digging like a million holes, they decide they're going to go inside and look in the basement. So they go down to the basement and they find this big ass furnace. Yeah, like, you know, everyone has a giant crematorium sized furnace in their basement, right? That's a normal thing. Yeah, that's a normal thing. They don't ever look inside it. Oh, thank God. But they're like, okay, we got to look around. They see some dirt that's messed up, so they decide, we're going to dig here because this is where Walter's body is. We dig, 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 that was a reference to Snow White because the dwarves dig a lot. Okay. They dig for gems. They dig for gold. But they find... <laughs> Snow White! I need to go to bed. Let's finish this. I'm working on it, dear. Okay. <laughs> Take us home. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So they're in the basement. They're, they're digging the, up a, a storm. They're digging up a storm. They turned on the furnace, so now there's light coming from the basement. The Klopaks drive up, and Rumsfield doesn't see him, making him a very poor fucking lookout. And the Klopaks drive back and go get the cops, because somebody has broken into their house. Corey Feldman is having a party across the street, waiting for something to happen, because that's what he does, and he waits for... Crazy shit to happen. And Ray's still digging in the basement. Digging deep down. And Art's like, I don't think they would dig this deep down to bury a body. Art walks outside. And as Art walks back outside, who drives up? But Walter. Walter drives up in his glory. And he is walking with a walker. Because apparently he spent the night in the hospital. Mr. Rumsfield's trying to get in contact with Ray, who's still in the basement digging, and he go he looks at Art, who's now on the front lawn, and he goes, Art, go get Ray! The Klopaks are coming! Art runs back down to the basement as Ray hits a piece of metal, and he goes, I hit the gas line! Run! Fucking goddammit. So... Art runs the fuck out of there, leaves Ray in this giant hole that he can't get out of. 
and and uh, at right as Art runs out of the house, the house goes boom. Oh yeah, it blows the hell up. Now I know what you're thinking, guys, but Tom Hanks is the main character, right? So he he can't have blown up in the house. He he can't be dead. Um, he's not. But he should be because the whole fucking house blowed up. Uh, so, I mean, logic, I'm not a fucking scientist, but logic would assume that if you are in the nucleus of an explosion in a house and the whole house is engulfed in flames, you're probably dead. But no, 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 because Tom Hanks is. Tom Hanks, he just kind of moseys out of the house, completely covered in soot. His clothes are burnt. Yeah. You know, his hair is like singed here and there because, you know, that's all that really happens when you get exploded. You kind of just like singe your clothes a little bit and get a little dirty, like a fucking cartoon. Like I was half expecting him to cough up a black puff of smoke or something. So... Carol comes back to see all this craziness because now the the cul-de-sac is taped off. Art is yelling like, we found them out. We know the truth. Right, Ray, 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 we found out. Ray is completely like, his his whole head's taped up. And he, Carol walks up to him and he finally goes, oh, you did something with your hair. It's really nice. <laughs> Aw, he's so cute. But, uh cops are there and they're talking to Art and to Ray and the cops explain that Walter was in the hospital and Dr. Werner Klopek is a very highly respected doctor in his field and if Art should consider himself lucky that he didn't kill anybody in this explosion. Yeah, he reads the charges out to Ray and Ray's assuming he's going to jail for a while and Art's like, no, but we, we found proof. We found proof that they're bad guys. And fucking Ray starts yelling at him like... Oh, this is like his shining moment. We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking in through people's windows. We're the ones who are throwing garbage in the street and lighting fires. We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid. We're the lunatics. Us. It's not them. It's us. Ray is just lost it on Art. He is completely lost it. And he finally gets on the gurney. He's like, take me to the hospital. And then he's like, they're not moving it because the gurney's on the floor. So he picks up the gurney, throws it into the ambulance, gets in the ambulance himself, and throws himself back onto the gurney. Oh, my God. It was his... That was the second big laugh I got in the movie. And fun fact, that moment where he picks up the gurney and puts it in and lays it. That was all improvised by Hanks in the moment. Carol walks up to the back of the ambulance and goes, okay, honey, I'm going to find out where they're going to take you and I'll meet you at the hospital. (laughs) And he goes, okay, fine. She walks away. And then we cut to the doctor comes into the back of the ambulance. Hmm, a little suspicious, perhaps. And Ray is, like, apologizing to him. He goes, I'm so sorry. And when I get out of jail, I'll come help fix your house. I promise. I'll, I'll do everything to make it right. And the doctor goes, you may have them fooled, but you don't have me fooled. You looked into the furnace, didn't you? You saw... My skull. 
well, I'm going to kill you now. Hans starts driving. So Hans is in the driver's seat. He starts to try and drive away. Ray is blocking the doctor from stabbing him with the needle of, I'm assuming, poison. He's trying to stop Hans from driving away. He crashes the ambulance into Art's house. Good. Asshole. And they spill out as the gurney rolls down the street and crashes into the doctor's car. And the trunk pops open and Ray's screaming, I'm citizens arresting you. You're under citizens arrest. Because it turns out, you know, after all of this Michigas, they actually are really murderers. Yes, because they murdered the family that lived there before because the family wouldn't sell them the house. Yeah, and he confesses all that to Ray in the ambulance. So when they get out of the ambulance, Ray's like, I'm citizens arresting you. But the cops don't believe him. But then Ricky looks over at the trunk of Hair Doctor's car and he sees a bunch of fucking skeletons (laughs) and nasty, dirty, rotting bones in the fucking trunk. And the cops are like, hmm, is this your car, Dr. (laughs) Dr. uh, Klopek? And the guy's like, oh. (laughs) And Mr. Rumsfield chases down Hans. Oh, yes. And uh, the cul-de-sac has been saved from the evil clutches of the Klopex. Yeah. And Ray walks up to Carol and goes, let's go to the lake after all. You know what? I need a vacation. Let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. And Art's like, yo, I, I, I totally believed you. I, I, I was like, I, I thought you were actually choking me. That was really good there. <laughs> oh, I was choking you, piece of shit. <laughs> and... Uh, Art's like, you can't go on vacation now. This is a huge media event because all like the news vans show up and Art's loving the attention and everything. And Mr. <laughs> Rumsfield yells to Art. He goes, Art, your wife's home and your house is on fire. And Art turns. And then he turns around and he's like, my wife's home. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking dipshit. Oh, God. But fun fact, uh, I'll give the last fun fact here. In the original script for The Burbs, Ray was intended to be killed by Dr. Klopek. However, once Tom Hanks was cast in the film, the studio didn't think the audience would like seeing him die. (laughs) So the ending had to be reworked. I can't help but agree. I mean, the man is a treasure. Yes, he is. And he had just done Big, which is like the most wholesome movie oh, ever. Yeah. You haven't seen that. I think I have that on my list for you. Yeah, I, I know bits and pieces of it, but yeah. So, and in addition, there were also several alternate endings uh, or different nefarious things were found in the trunk. One ending had a bunch of dead cheerleaders in the trunk. One ending had the dead bodies of the two garbage men seen earlier in the film in the trunk. So, I mean, basically it's the same result is that they're murderers. But, um, yeah, a little darker perhaps would have been to see actual corpses <laughs> in the car. Yeah, that would have been a little darker. Uh, also, to kill your main character brutally... <laughs> would also be a little darker yeah definitely uh so our last scene in the movie is on the fourth wall break uh cory feldman looks into the camera dead on and goes 
God, I love this street. Do, 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 do. And that's the end. And, and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the movie. Okay, so my Yeah, what problem. is your issue with the ending? Let's talk about that. My issue with the ending is that I kind of wanted the Clopax to be normal. I felt we built all this way to them being murderers, and I thought that was way too obvious. I thought it would have been so much better if it turns out that, yeah, they were crazy, and the Clopax were just normal, weird people. Yeah, I mean, you could have very easily went the other way with this, whereas you have all the weird, peculiar things be explained away by, like, some convoluted innocent thing and they're just normal people they're just a little wacky and you you know such and such but i feel like that's been done before at least this was a little different i guess it is yeah but i don't know i just felt like that whole speech at the end was just an amazing speech and i thought it you know that we were the crazy ones i thought that would have been a great point to just we close the ambulance doors and just kind of drive away yeah, I agree with that. You know, like, I I didn't need the Clopax to be explained, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it did feel kind of like the whole Clopax trying to kill Hank's thing and then it being... Re- that whole little part, it did kind of seem almost tacked on at the end. So I get I get what you're saying. But overall, I, I did like the movie. Had a fun little romp of a time. Nothing spectacular, but definitely not bad it's a solid comedy yeah i i have a good time with it i enjoy it i mean it's definitely worth watching for just for tom hanks alone if nothing else in fact i mean even joe dante said regarding hanks that uh he's quote unquote the reigning everyman that everyone can identify with like james stewart yeah. He's like the Jimmy Stewart of our generation. Yeah, he definitely could definitely be described as Jimmy Stewart like. It's definitely a fun earlier role for him that is definitely enhanced by the chemistry between all the actors. And that probably is helped even more by the fact that they could improv a little bit and, you know, enjoy themselves that way. But um yeah, I gave this film a three out of five stars. Solid comedic venture nice i have it as a three and a half and i had a good time i i I still have a good time with it tom hanks is great i love carrie fisher they all bring some joy to it and there's there's some fun shots joe dante has fun with it too you can tell with how he shoots some parts of the movie oh definitely that one part with the cameras zooming in and out i died laughing that was was so funny that was great uh the part where after art had fallen in through the shed they have a shot from the roof of the shed and Art's outline is in the top of the shed like a cartoon character. It really is like a cartoon at parts, yeah. So that was the Burbs. And next week I will be showing Scott a movie and I promise not to be as fucking ridiculously high on being exhausted (laughs) as I am right now. But until then, this has been... Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. <laughs> and I'm scared. 
make sure you check us out on uh, oh my god I can't speak make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at shoot the flick and make sure you check out our weekly episodes on iTunes Spotify Google Podcast iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week to check out our fun and fancy free movie adventure make sure you watch your neighbors because they're watching you I always feel like somebody's watching me (laughs) and I have no privacy I always feel